When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, you're good with all numbers and that sort of thing, so perhaps you could explain to me how on this podcast I will talk for 25% of it. You all talk for 75% of it, but we'll still come out on as even. <laughs> as bizarrely happened as Hannah's part. I feel I should apologise here, and if it wasn't for the fact that it was, you battered us so much, it's even more funny that we got a point. As as somebody in the pub afterwards said, that's the best team Brighton will ever had, and they still couldn't beat us mongrels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was like playing a Sunday league team and then Robert Sanchez decided to have a hold my beer moment and, and try to out Sunday league palace. It was, it was just bizarre. And sometimes you know, it's, it's football. It's football. Just, just accept it. Well, it could just, have been worse. We could have had a perfectly legitimate goal. <laughs> whack, re, disallowed by VAR because they lined up the lines with the wrong defender. It, it took them three and a half minutes to work that out. That's, <laughs> So I, I just love the look on the referee's face when your keeper dropped it like that because he was obviously thinking something must have happened. That, that there'll be a voice in my he can't just have dropped it. Something must have fouled him. Uh, but yeah, well, also, Kira, I mean, you were you were there. You were in the pub with us uh, at yes. two, at two o'clock when you heard the sound of. If anybody ever asked you what the sound of two hundred people in the pub going, oh, Jesus, Tompkins is playing. Sounds yes. like you, you can now describe it because that's exactly what happened, which is obviously the moment when I should have gone and put a, a bet on Tompkins scoring a goal in the game. Uh, it was lovely to see you, Kieran. Um, nice to see you enjoying being fanboyed over by various Palace supporters in the pub. Uh, yeah, a great, great time. The Porson's Arms is uh, is certainly my favourite pub. Uh, as a person that never goes to pubs, uh, yeah, yeah I felt felt I was made very welcome, and uh, all the Palace lads there. That, that that's what the rivalry should be all about taking the mickey out of each other before and after, but still having respect in the sense that I've got more in common with Palace fans than I do with Chelsea or Manchester United or Liverpool because ours ours is a choice of postcode. That's where we were born. uh, That's where we grew up. And that's all that matters. Yeah, it it was worth seeing you today just for the slightly baffled look on your face when my friend Roy said, you didn't sound that tall on radio. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, You can't hold his drink. Um, Hi, Roy. Questions day, Kieran. We've got some cracking questions. The first one is a, a, a long one, so we need to uh, start wading into it as it gets deeper as we get in there. It comes from Mika Tapio. 
Uh, Mika, I apologise if I've not pronounced that correctly, but uh, Mika Tapio, I hope it is. Mika says, I'm a graduate of the First Price of Football online course, so I've already learned quite a bit about football finance directly from Kieran. But there's one area that still intrigues me enormously, and that's the question of stadium ownership and how to sweat such a significant asset. Notably, I've been wondering whether it's always good for clubs to own their stadium or sometimes a long-term lease like West Ham is actually a better option and whether that is simply a question of financial cost-benefit analysis. Even companies have to make a decision about whether to own versus lease their office, but football, we know, is a very different business altogether. So my question is, what goes into the decision-making about stadium ownership and in which situations would it be better for football clubs to lease their stadium? I, I suppose, Kieran, the answer to that is history a lot of the time because most of those decisions were made a long time ago. And it's it's a relatively new thing for, for clubs to have to decide whether or not they're going to lease or buy a new stadium. Yes, I mean, certainly since the, the Taylor report, we have seen the uh, the creation of new stadiums when when clubs have considered whether to develop the one that uh, they historically uh, used to play in or, or move elsewhere. Um, sometimes it is a pure financial decision. So if, if we take a look at... Uh, Let's take a look at two clubs in London. We've got West Ham and Spurs. Um, West West Ham are paying three point six million pounds rent a year, um, and that includes effectively close to zero of the running costs. Uh, yeah, even things like the flags, I believe, are paid for by the local council. So it, sometimes it will come down to price. If, if we compare that to to Spurs, Spurs have got a, a depreciation charge, which depreciation is, is when you do buy an asset. It's a bit like amortization. If, if you buy an asset for, for 100 and it's got a 20-year life, you depreciate it, it works out as five a year. But So compared to, to West Ham's £3.6 million in rent, Spurs have got a depreciation charge of £72 million and they've had to go and borrow money from the bank. So they're paying another probably you know, 25 to £30 million. Uh, in, in terms of, of interest costs. So in that particular circumstance, you can see the benefit of West to West Ham. Also has to be said that uh, you know, West Ham n- negotiated the deal really well um, or the, the landlord negotiated the deal very badly on behalf of the London taxpayer. Mm. Um, so, so price is certainly an issue. I, th- I think the other main issue that I'd probably consider, uh, Mika, is... What rights do you have as a tenant? Um, if, if we look at the main or some of the key income streams that, that could impact upon an own versus rent issue, um, what about naming rights? Yeah, we know that Spurs have been in talk about naming rights for uh, White Hart Lane, uh, as, as its real name happens to be. Um, but um, they've not gone through yet. But if they do go through, that money will come to West Ham. Sorry, that, that money will come to Spurs. In the case of West Ham, they might have to share that with the landlord. Uh, what about catering rights? You know, Spurs make £800,000 a match from catering. Um, they they get everything, all the profits from, from the, the merchandising, uh, you know, unless, unless Nike take their cut, of course. Um, and Spurs can also use their stadium on non-match days, yeah, we, we know that the NFL play there, there's concerts taking place and so on, and all of that revenue comes in to Spurs. And, and we'll be taking a look probably at Spurs' accounts on Thursday because they, they, they've just come out over the course of the weekend. 
um, to see the benefits of that. West Ham don't get their benefits. You know that they, they they have to concede quite a lot. Uh, yeah, if if uh, if the London Stadium is being used for for concerts, then that money goes to the landlord. So it, it is a balancing act. Um, you, you have to uh, weigh up the positives and the negatives. If if we look at Manchester City, who Broadly, we're in a similar position to that of West Ham in, in moving to uh, what was the the Commonwealth Games Stadium. I, I remember, I think it was two thousand and two yeah. Commonwealth Games in Manchester. I remember going to it myself. Um, that uh, City have the benefit of being able to expand the the stadium. You know, if, if any further development, provided they're prepared to pay for it, the landlord tends to say, um, I'll, "I'll let you go straight through with it." Whereas, uh, for, yeah, for anybody that's ever rented. Uh, uh, an apartment, you know, even simple things like you know changing the colour of the, the 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 front door or putting on a satellite dish can result in the landlord coming down and being a uh, a bit of a bit of a provocative individual. So you know that's what that's it, it's it's the same as rent versus buy uh, in respect of all uh, property uh, decisions, and each has their own benefits. But in the case of West Ham deal of the century uh, or bad deal of the century if you're the taxpayer yeah, can you remind me kieran or or tell me because i'm not sure if i ever knew in the first place were west ham planning to move anyway or did they decide to expedite the move because the london stadium became uh, a potential place to go to no no they, they they weren't planning on moving i mean it, it could be argued that um you know upton park had a capacity of was it around about thirty five, thirty six thousand, yeah. from what I recall. Um, uh, as an away fan, I used to love it. Yeah, you know, it, it it was when when West Ham were on fire, it was an absolutely rocking place, and uh, you, you can't say that about the new place because it it, it is so big and it, and it and it is clearly an athletic stadium, sort of quasi converted into a football stadium rather than the other way around. So so West Ham um, would have probably stayed at Upton Park. Um, clearly there had to be some sort of legacy issue with regards to the Olympic Stadium. I, I believe I believe Orient were interested in, at one stage, but I think we have to be realistic. You know, I know we've had Barry Hearn on the show. Yeah. Um, that it, Orient were, were going to rattle around uh, the stadium, even if they kept the sort of you know, the capacity down to say thirty or forty thousand. Uh, you know, Orient have a natural ceiling, and, and again, I, as, as an away fan, I, I love going to Orient. It's just one of those really, really good places with loads of decent pubs nearby, and so on, yeah. uh, which which you can't say uh, about with regards to the London Stadium. So, uh, West West Ham pitched um, as tenants and were awarded the deal and that then gave the uh David Golden Dave Sullivan the the opportunity to to sell the stadium and and uh, whilst it's before our time um the, the some of the profits on that deal were were very interesting very interesting I'll say no more than that yeah oddly enough we have a question about Orient coming up and if I was a braver person Kieran I would segue straight to it now but I'm too scared to produce a guy because as as you know he tells us he doesn't just pick these randomly out of a hat and bung them down in a kind of William Burroughs cut-up technique style. Look it up, kids. Um, but, or, yes, Orient, I think Barry Hearn reminded us, the Orient plan for the London Stadium is when it looked like Tottenham might be moving in there because his plan was that Orient had the the hockey stadium. So mm. it would almost be within – so Orient's stadium would be like 12,000, almost within the footprint of Tottenham's one. So it's probably never going to work. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Elliot Cram. 
And Elliot says that you, Kieran, you, Kieran, often oh, praise Lordy. clubs uh, who are open about their financial records. Are there any reasons for clubs not to disclose this record other than to be careful and crafty, shall we say, about their finances? And if they are being careful and crafty, um, what are the reasons that aren't careful and crafty? Otherwise, are there any legitimate reasons for not disclosing financial records? Well, there's a legitimate reason in the sense that there is no statutory obligation to do so. Ah, ah, okay. if, if you are um, what is described as a small company per, per company's legislation, and for a small company, it means that your total income is less than £10.5 million and your balance sheet total is less than £5.1 million, then you are allowed to, to publish, cut down the so-called abbreviated accounts. So there's no profit and loss account. So that means you, know, you, you don't get the split between TV money and uh, match day ticket sales and commercial income. You don't have to go and show your wage totals. You, you don't have to go and show the interest costs, which, which could be interesting. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, we, we know that sometimes owners of clubs lend money to clubs. Now, we tend to think that those loans are interest-free, and many of them are, but equally, many of them aren't. So just how much interest are the owners charging to the clubs? Uh, it, it, it's that information is, is uh, more difficult uh, to see, sometimes impossible. In the case of, uh, of of clubs that are using these, um, so I, I think it, it's perfectly legal. In any other industry, you would say it would be standard practice um, because people uh, have some of the benefits of being a limited liability company in the sense of a bit of protection from uh, creditors. There's not really significant tax advantages anymore. I think there used to be perhaps twenty years ago. Um, but it just gives you that little bit of privacy, and pe- people like it. You know, how, how often do you do you actually ask people how much how much money they earn? Yeah, you know, it's just not it's just not a British thing to do, is it? Yeah, we're, we're not we're not that way inclined. Um, so, as far as the advantages of of going down this 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 route, Elliot, um, it's that it means that you you get a bit of secrecy between your club or if you're the owner of a club and the competitors um you know they don't know what your wage budget is they they, they don't know how much money you're generating from that that fancy new uh, sponsorship deal and yeah, that that creates a bit of uncertainty and you know if you're a poker player or you know anything like that you say you know, uncertainty in the opposition gives you an advantage if you if you're in a position to to to, to leverage on it. Um, I, I think the EFL, and I'm, I may be wrong, and I'll probably get a, a call from EFL Towers if I am, I, I think the EFL's effectively set out uh, the budgets of each of the clubs in each of the divisions, but they don't name the clubs. So you, you can sort of have a, a sort of a glorified game of, you know, pin, 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 the, pin the tail on the donkey, trying to, to work it out. But for 24 clubs, you, you, you're never going get to it, get it uh, anywhere near right. Um, so it, it gives you perhaps a, a stronger position in, in the transfer market if you don't disclose the information because agents won't know how much you're, you're, you're paying in, in your total wage budget and therefore they can't perhaps necessarily ask for more. So it's, it, it is the, the advantages are to the owners. Um, there, there is a case for saying, um, you know, we, we saw the clubs in the EFL uh, be able to take uh, interest-free loans uh, as a result of covid um, there's a case for saying that should there be an independent regulator, which will 
ideally give clubs some protection. But part of the cost for that, yeah, part of the payback uh, in respect of that, was that they, they should publish full data because the the best people to hold the club to account, in my view, is the fan base. And if you give people full information, then they have a greater understanding and therefore they, they can, A, hold the olders to account and, B, they can also say, actually, you know, we're giving the owners a load of grief, but having seen these figures, we can perhaps understand why certain certain decisions have been made because the clubs had to sell player X or it can't afford to invest in the in the transfer market because it's, it's losing a lot of money. So you know, there are advantages of, of being more transparent, but owners tend to be uh, a bit distrustworthy of, of giving information to fans. They think we're a, a bunch of troublemakers. They also think we're idiots a lot of the time as well, which doesn't help. Hmm. Uh, a couple of things off the back of that, Kieran. And first of all, can I suggest that you're probably – in enough trouble with the Baroness as it is just at the moment <laughs> without you suggesting that she puts a blindfold on you and puts up 24 NFL, uh, twenty-four football league teams while you try and pin a tail on one of them to work out which is earning which amount of money. And second, that seems to me, so £10.5 million below that, you're counted as a small business. That seems to be a, a fairly high, fr- I mean, to me, that's a, a, a sizable chunk of money for anyone to be earning and still be counted as small. And and thirdly, I'm, I'm very much by that criteria, a small business, but Bobby Numbers gets quite twitchy when I when I suggest that I'm less than open about financial records. Um, I don't quite understand why they, the accountants of the football clubs, I mean, presumably it, they, they can't be less than honest when it comes to uh, telling HMRC how much they've earned and spent over a season can they that's not a sort of that, that that's a different sort of open honesty that, that, that's right I, th- I think we need to separate two things here or two relationships firstly the relationship between an individual or a business or, or in our specialist case a football club um and hmrc where where you've got to conduct yourself appropriately yeah. um but secondly the the relationship between the football club at limited and uh, and the fan base, some owners will say you're being nosy. You know, you're not entitled to see it. Um, but but those, I, I agree with you. Those numbers are quite big. Um, I think about ninety nine percent of companies that exist these days don't need audits and and will be classified as small. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, the government's made that decision. There there is still greater disclosure in this country than there is in, in the vast majority of others. Uh, Companies House, which, which which you know I'm sort of slightly addicted to, mm. uh, is is a magnificent re- resource, but it but it does come with caveats in the sense that every set of accounts that is lodged there um, is, uh, you know, it tends to be unaudited. You know, 99% of them won't be. So you've, you've got to have uh, a degree of faith in the people presenting the accounts that, that what they have done is – is legitimate and honest and transparent. Um, yeah, that, that that can often be the case. Uh, if, if anybody's ever submitted sets of accounts to Companies House, you can do a sort of a dual submission with Companies House and HMRC. So therefore, you've got to be honest with HMRC and, and the, the accounts go through on the nod to, to Companies House as well. But uh, yeah, it, it does mean that the, the vast majority of companies show very, very restricted information. And and perhaps that's right. You know, it, it's yeah, the likes of Sainsbury's and you know, Marks and Spencer's and 
uh, you know, big industrial companies, uh, I think, have a public responsibility. Uh, you know, your local butcher who, who's incorporated because yeah, it could be that inherited the company from from other members of the family, for example, um, they're entitled to an element of privacy. Uh, it turns out, Kieran, the, the question that mentions Leighton Orient is actually the next one. So I could have jumped straight to it and we would have looked very clever and we could have gone back to the one before it, but I didn't because I wasn't paying attention, which is pretty much the case in uh, 25% of the pods yeah, rather than... If, if, as, only, as opposed if to only Robert Sanchez had been playing attention <laughs> yesterday. This is a good question from Shane Tanner. <coughs> Excuse me. It's, again, it's one of those you think, why have we not thought about this before? Mm, Shane, yeah. Tanner, Shane Tanner says, do footballers get paid an equivalent of London waiting reflected in salary? Granted, it's obviously less of an issue in the Premiership, but further down the pyramid, the cost of living for a player at Leighton Orient, and the average house price in Leighton is 525000 will be more significant than, say, Rochdale, where the average house price is 190000 Yep, I think this is an absolute cracker, yeah. uh, Shane. Um, I, I've been in contact with a, a couple of executives from clubs uh, and say, anything you can say about this? And the, the response was, uh, officially, there is no such thing as a London waiting. If, uh, if, if you look at you know, my profession, the teaching profession, you do get a London waiting for being a teacher in London. I think you do get a London waiting for being a, a, a copper. Uh, in London as well, um, which uh, that doesn't doesn't excuse the behaviour of the Metropolitan Police yesterday in uh, in kettling us back to the station and uh, seeing to take a quite quite jo- joy in being uh, obnoxious at times, but that's a separate issue. Um, but um, there there is an unofficial waiting in the sense that if if you want to attract a player from Accrington or Morecambe or, or Rochdale, then you would probably offer them a bit more as a London club. Um, I, I don't think many that many players, unless they're they're born in the area, um, who come to London clubs, the the, the lower league clubs, um, tend to live there. They they tend to sort of live in sort of yeah the M twenty five area to just to just to reduce that that very intense cost of uh, of being uh, a resident in London, and also. You know, if if you are in a lower league club, the chances are you're on a yeah. If you're on League One or League Two, you're not going to get more than a two year contract the vast majority of the time. So you've then got the the pain of moving to London, having to pay stamp duty, which is extortionate on the deal, and then two years later you could be off to Lincoln or you could be off to to Newport, and and uh, it's cost you a lot of money. So um, players quite often will will rent if if they are moving to a club. I I know. One player who who uh, who retired uh, probably ten years ago, and I think his second club was Sunderland, and he it was he bought his first apartment in Sunderland, and he and he still got it even though he's he's been to seven or eight clubs since then, uh, and he's just rented uh, other places. Mm. So uh, sometimes players realise that the, because it is quite a nomadic uh, profession that it, it's probably best to to have one HQ, as it were, um, and to to only physically move if, if you get a uh, yeah if, if if you get a promise of a long contract and, and uh, an incentive to move uh, and to have a, an accommodation there. Yeah don't start making me get all tribal defending the Metropolitan Police, Kieran when the East Sussex police are capable of doing their own perfectly good job at keeping fans outside a football ground for much longer than they should be. Uh 
as a friend of mine yes. says every year after yet another hour you'd, you'd think they'd be a bit more rural down here <laughs> and, a, and a bit more relaxed but it turns out no um our next question comes from carl hamburger now i like carl hamburger because remember last week here we had a question from lars grim and, yes. and Lars, Lars got quite defensive and said, yes, I do have a brother. Whereas, whereas Carl Hamburger, no such thing. He just straight me, name's Carl Hamburger. Uh, and as we know, because he's proud of his name, I, I've dropped all the puns that I inevitably did start thinking of. But Carl Hamburger also has a good question. Mm. It says, as we know, loads of footballers earn very high salaries. However, they also have a shortish career time frame compared to other professions. Do the UK tax authorities take this into account when levying tax? So can footballers spread their earnings over a time period longer than their playing career? And are there special arrangements for pension contribution? And now, to me, Kieran, that sounds like a perfectly legitimate thing to do, but I'm guessing that it sounds so legitimate it's not. Well, the, the rules have changed. And if we deal with Carl's um, second question first... It used to be that as a professional footballer, you could take your pension at the age of 35. Oh, wow. But, uh, and this was until 2006, um, so if, if you'd enrolled in the PFA. Having said that, if, if you had taken it at the age of 35, even if you were on decent money in 2006, you, I think you'd be finding life quite tough. Um, the, the rules have now been changed, and, and post-2006, uh, you can now draw your pension at the age of 55. Um, so, you know, with the, uh, with the exception of James Milner, I, I suspect, most players are going to have a you know, sizable gap yeah. between yeah. When, when they hang up their boots and, and when they start to draw down their pension. So, so that that's the pension issue. Um, in respect of Carl's first question, under the PAYE scheme, you are taxed on your remuneration um, in the year 6th of April through to the 5th of April, which uh, for people unfamiliar with this is that the government, or rather the, the king, when, when income tax was first introduced, um, wanted to start it on the 1st of April. But uh, the that year, the 1st of April was uh, Easter, and the, the king didn't want to uh, start the tax year during a Christian festival. Oh, so they waited for the end of the Easter festival, yeah. which was the 6th of April. Oh. And there's uh, – so, yeah, if anybody's listening to this and, you know, it's, uh, it is Valentine's night coming up uh, tomorrow, and, and there's a lull in the conversation between – you and the person you you love, or you think you love, or you you might want to love, um, there's there's a there's a free line for you to uh, yeah to, to keep the conversation flowing. Um, I think they'll be too busy showing off their manscaped <laughs> artwork. That's true. So if, yeah, that is true. If, if there's still a lull in the conversation after you've showed off the landing strip, then fine, carry on. <laughs> um, so um, under the PAYE system. Whatever you earn from the 6th of April to the 5th of April is is taxable. However, um, as we are aware, um, many footballers now have an element of their remuneration paid to an image right company. So if, for example, you are earning uh, – yeah, the, the average player uh, is, is earning – yeah, perhaps twenty million pounds over a career. You know, a, a Premier League footballer. Average wages in the Premier League these days, I, I reckon, are around about sixty k a week. So it's what three million a year. If you play for six years, you you, you earn yourself around about twenty mil. Um, what you can do is you can have the revenue will normally perhaps 
give you up to 20%, 20% max uh, of that going into image rights. So what you could therefore do is that over the course of your career, you could transfer £4 million into your image rights company and not draw any of that money down during your playing career. And then it's sort of a bit like a mini pension. You've now got four million quid, um, which from the age of retirement, you know, if, if you've not got uh, any other uh, employment either within the industry or outside of the football industry, you're now in a position to say, well, yeah, I, I can take X thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and and it's quite a decent uh, amount of money, and and you will then you will be taxed on it. Um, when you receive the money. So it's a way of delaying paying uh, tax um, on your income. And of course, uh, you know, if you are a Premier League footballer and let's say that you're on £60,000 a week, you know, every additional pound that you earn, you're paying tax at uh, 45%. You're paying national insurance, I think, at 1% as well. Um, whereas if you wait till after your uh, career ends, then you can take advantage of your your tax free allowances and have perhaps a more of a, a staggered and, and end up paying a lower uh, what we refer to as a marginal rate of tax on, on each pound that you earn. Um, so, so that that's one way of doing it. I'm not a tax expert. I I've not taught tax since uh, about 2002, I think, from from recollection. Uh, but uh, it's it's one way of. Uh, it's one way of sort of having a bit of tax planning as far as your your overall career earnings are concerned. Do you know, Kieran, why the uh, pension rules were changed so you can't get it at the age of 55? Was it to to, to give players something, you know, that, that they didn't spend all their money by the time they were 40, that they would definitely have something at the age of 55? Because you, you kind of feel they should be able to take their pension when they want, really, don't you, if they've paid in? Yeah, I, I think it was part of a much broader review um, right. of pensions by Her Majesty's government. And uh, it would have been the Labour government at the time when these rules were changed. Um, I, I don't think that there was any sort of deep thinking um, with regards to we're worried about footballers wasting wasting their pensions at the age of 35. Um, and and, I, and I'm pretty certain from the days when I used to teach tax, it used to be exactly the same for jockeys. Jockeys could retire at 35 as yeah. well. Um, but that, I believe, has also been changed to 55. It, it was more to do with um, there were quite a few industries where uh, early pensions and early retirements were effectively sanctioned in the legislation. And the aim at the time was yeah, the government wanted more money um, from uh, the overall tax take. And therefore, this was one way of, of doing it. Um, and, you know, depending upon uh, which which newspaper you read, it was either uh, trying to level the playing field between people in different industries, or it was a stealth tax. Yeah, <clears throat> apologies to listeners for some sound effects you may have heard in the background there. That was uh, my son, the comedian Ed Knight, otherwise known as Ed. Don't worry, Dad, I know you're doing a pod. I'll keep it quiet when I leave. Uh, <laughs> running down the stairs and slamming the door because, as always, he's left himself 45 seconds to get a train when the station's 55 seconds away. But, uh, you may also hear, in a few minutes' time, <laughs> my cousin's husband, Brian, known as Brexit Brian, around these parts, <coughs> is auditioning to be in the Magic Circle uh, tomorrow Ooh. night. So he's coming round in a few minutes uh, to practice his act for Ali and I, and he's bringing the world's cutest puppy, 
Uh, so you'll hear that barking, and then you'll hear a really annoyed cat hissing, and then you'll hear a magician doing something with doves or whatever it is he's going to pull out of his top hat. I don't know. So, so just I thought I'd explain the sound effects. And Finley's very quiet, by the way, today. Are you, are, are you definitely at home? Yeah, I, I'm at home. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the office. Uh, the Baroness has got the fire on in the lounge, so he's... Really? He, yeah. Is it cold? There's supposed to be a beast from the east coming in, isn't there? Yes, I mean, I mean that's weather, not not one of your cricket team. <laughs> Valentine's Day is almost here, and by the grace of Cupid, our friends at Manscaped are coming with the best tools to get your boys downstairs ready for the special occasion. Get lucky this Valentine's Day and join the seven million men worldwide who trust Manscaped the leaders in below-the-waist grooming with our exclusive offer. Go to manscapes.com and use the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL for 20% off and free shipping. That's Price of Football, all in big letters for those big boys. Well, Kevin, the Platinum Package from Manscaped is the all-encompassing package that every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little bit more special. It includes the Lawnmower 4.0, its advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate parts. And Manscaped have even, they've even, Kevin, thrown in two free gifts, their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs to keep your boys stored comfortably. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. Don't forget, that's all in big letters for those big boys. Price of football at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code Price of Football. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Patrick Hurry has our next question. Another interesting one. They all are. Patrick Hurry says, do clubs that have affiliate links with other clubs have to pay them an annual fee? For example, Rangers have a link with Linfield of Northern Ireland. We play the occasional friendly against them in pre-season or during the winter break, and we also send players on loan. Is it Rangers who will cover the whole cost of all these arrangements? Also, does a player have a choice in this matter when it comes to being loaned out? Um, With regards to sort of affiliate links, um, there's no formal cash arrangement between the two parties. I I know Brighton, I think we got one with Hibernian, um, for example. Um, it, it's more of a case of, of what we, we refer to in, in the world of academia as a knowledge exchange. It, it's it's the opportunity to uh, allow players and coaches and medical staff to to see how somebody else is working. And you you can uh, and we're not going down the pampas grass route here, but it's an opportunity to to swap people, um, you know, in order to to get a bit of experience um, and to to get an understanding as to sort of a, a different psyche uh, in respect of individual clubs. So, um, with, with regards to um, Rangers and Linfield, uh, yeah, I think that there clearly are uh, there are there are links of a non-footballing nature between the two fan bases. So therefore, they, they tend to quite like each other. Um, and, and therefore, you know that if there is going to be a friendly, it's it's going to be packed out because uh, Rangers have a, a a big fan base in Linfield. And when Linfield are playing in, in Europe, for example, um, Rangers fans tend to be uh, yeah, fully behind the team. So in terms of sending out players on loan, it's... It's more of a sense of you, know, you, you try to sort of create a culture of familiarity. Um, would let Rangers cover the whole cost? No, not necessarily. Uh, you know, quite often uh, the, the club which is is putting the player out on loan um, will ask for a contribution towards wages. Um, could even charge a loan fee uh, d- depending upon the, the the size of the club. You know, if uh, uh, you know Ch- Chelsea. Quite, quite good at charging loan fees, going into the millions mm. for individual players. Um, does the player have a choice in the matter? Officially, the answer is no. Officially, the player can say, uh, "No, I, 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 I want to play my football in Glasgow. Um, I want to fight for my place. Um, I've got, you know, I've, I've got a young family here, and I'm not prepared to move to to Linfield or wherever the the destination will be." Um, and the club will respond, uh, but if if in the eyes of the manager, the manager doesn't fancy the player, he, what can happen? And I, and I do know one or two players who for whom this happened. That, that the club wanted them to go out on the loan. The player says, "Look, I'm, I'm really happy here. You know, I've, I've got a couple of small kids at school. I want to see them each day. Uh, you know, my parents are around here as well. It, it's family as much as anything else." Um, then all of a sudden you find yourself mysteriously having to train with the uh-huh. with the academy kids. Uh, so 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 the awkward squad can come into it, but that's all unofficial. You'll never get confirmation from the club as that to that being the reason. But uh, if if your cards are marked because you're deemed to be non-cooperative, then uh, it, it's probably not good for career development. And if if you take a look at the vast majority of loan deals. Uh, in, in respect of clubs, they, they tend to be 
for for younger players who who just want to play football. They, they want to play first team football. So so therefore, there tends to be an element of enthusiasm. But having a good loan manager who can keep an eye on on these uh, on these young players is is absolutely critical because you know staying in a bedsit, staying in digs, uh, not knowing. The, the destination area particularly well it, it can become a lonely place you know and, and we are dealing with uh you know young men who are, who are going through quite a lot and, and i was reading today in in the times uh mike atherton writing very eloquently as he always does uh in respect of of going away with england on tour and uh yeah i've i've been away on tour for a week with yeah with the prowler and size five and the skunk and and biffer and so on and and that's fine but i was after about four or five days i was thinking i, I want i want to see you know i want to see my family i want to see my kids uh, and i don't particularly want to see um uh, because remember this was this was in the pre-manscape days you know i i, I don't want to see that in, in the shower uh, every day yeah, it just felt a bit bit alien and if you go out on tour for for three or four months as a cricketer uh sort of looking looking at sort of it from a mental health position um i, I was quite surprised uh at, at the extent of the impact it had on these these individuals because they're thousands of miles away from from the people that they love they're ultimately staying uh you know in a in a in a shared bedroom with somebody who they they sort of know but uh it can it can be really tough and and that's exactly the same uh in respect of players out on loans so uh, if you see a rather bemused and shy looking hibs goalkeeper outside a hotel in brighton tomorrow morning um be nice to him because he might be—he'd <laughs> have been bundled on the first plane from Edinburgh to Gatwick. Um, I, we, we're recording this at—I uh, was going to say tea time, Kieran, just to underline my working class roots. You probably say supper time. I don't know, but I don't. I don't. Supper's after tea. <laughs> you don't get a separate... supper. Supper's supper's fourth meal of the day when you when you're a, feeling a fourth meal. My yeah. God, a fourth meal. Jesus, the fourth meal of the day is a bottle of wine, Kieran. Uh, I think it, I think in your case it was two last night. Yeah, I mean, well, you, you texted me <laughs> after you were watching whilst you were watching match of the day and busily chortling to yourself. Uh, I'm sorry, that's very unprofessional. You're quite right. Um, <laughs> anyway, it sounds like there's. Um, <clears throat> I was just listening to reports of the game at Rangers v Partick this afternoon, which sounds like a, a proper cracker, uh, a, a mass brawl following a Rangers goal that the Rangers manager was so unhappy about his own team scoring that he made them a let Partick Thistle score one into an empty net at the other end. So that all sounds uh, the sort of feisty thing that makes you want to look up the the highlights. Uh, Justin C has our next question. Um, It's an unlikely one, Kieran, but again, it's an interesting one. And Justin (laughs) says... Well, it's unlikely for two reasons, as you'll find out. Justin says sometimes, or something I've wondered about for years is, just for example, if my team, Sheffield Wednesday, signed Dwayne The Rock Johnson and added him to our squad, not as a player, but for marketing purposes. Now, this is quite unlikely, I think, Justin, because I I believe, and in fact, I know that Dwayne Johnson is, in fact, a Macclesfield fan, it turns out, (laughs) uh, officially. Um, but but Justin's point is an interesting one. So, so we signed Wayne Watt Johnson. We add him to Sheffield Wednesday's squad. We can then sell millions of SWFC football shirts with the rock on the back. Is this allowed? Do you think it's possible to finance a football club by just selling lots of shirts in such a way? Odd question, I know, but we've we've had odder. <laughs> but we we, yes. we talked last week about Tyson Fury being one of the options for Morecambe. 
and Morgan mm. fans have told us that he's said he's not interested publicly. But you can imagine Tyson Fury's got a huge global fan base. You could imagine that Morgan would sell a lot, of, a lot of products with his face on, his name on. Yeah, well, we, we've effectively seen that at at Wrexham. Yeah, you know, yeah of course. If, if you look at the level of of sales of of Wrexham shirts, and Kim Kardashian was seen, and, I, and I, I don't do Instagram, but uh, I, I have a wife that does. Um, Kim Kardashian was seen recently wearing a Roma, I think it was 98, 99 home shirt. And they just, yeah, on, in the retro uh, retro football shirts, yeah, they just sold out immediately. Well, so ha- having, um, having a, a named person uh endorse your products and Re- Wrexham have you know and there's no way that Wrexham would be sponsored by TikTok and Aviation Gin if it wasn't for no. McElhenney yeah, and, and Reynolds yeah. so so you can get uh, a benefit from this um I remember Usain Bolt signing for an Australian club uh in the in the A-League which which is the Australian league um for people of you that are reading the Viz Profanosaurus whilst listening to this show, not not what you're thinking about. Uh, um, and you know that that had a uh, a positive impact. I'm pretty certain there was a singer, either from a boy band or something like that, who ended up um, on trial at a football club. We've had Romeo Beckham yeah. recently on trial for for Brentford B. Uh, you know he's he's a model, um, and I, I believe he, I believe he's a chef. As well, yeah. he's he's done things such as beans on toast, which yeah. apparently is a uh, is is these days counted as a uh, as a celebrity meal. Oh yeah, I, um, I believe he calls it uh, toast under beans. Uh, <laughs> right. It's a new twist, I think. <laughs> um, and, and it, it can have a positive impact. Yeah, we, we've seen we've seen the impact on on merchandise sales of celebrity players moving from one club to another, but having an affiliation with a celebrity in their own right and. There, there will be nothing to, uh, nothing wrong with uh, you know Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you know, sitting down at the at the traditional start of season uh, on the bench uh, and giving him his own number. He, he could just not be a part of your twenty-five man squad. You know, he, he could be deemed as a, a non-contract player or something like that. Yeah, I, I would be interested in hearing from uh, the authorities, <laughs> for want of a better word, about this because we've seen. We've seen at Sellers Park this season, um, uh, uh, a young lad who wasn't very well, he was given a squad number for one game um, and got a huge amount of applause when it was read out. So it's it's something that has been done, but I'd be intrigued to see whether it, it is within the rules because I think that's quite a clever little idea that Justin's had there. Um, possibly why he's not given us his full name because he wants to keep it to himself. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Tommaso Grant. Um, and again, it's another of those questions that you think, this is so simple, we should have thought of it before. But Tommaso Grant says, given that it's perfectly normal for players or even managers to move between clubs and in the process effectively terminate their current employment contract, why wouldn't something similar with backroom staff happen? For example, there are backroom staff working as scouts and coaches who are incredibly well regarded in the world of football. So why does the idea of a club paying a massive transfer fee for them not apply in the same way it applies to players? Surely a top-class coach with a history of developing brilliant players will be worth just as much in the long term as a decent first-team player, especially considering they're not limited by age fitness. I suppose you could extend that to data analysts and all sorts, couldn't you? Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, The the reason why is that football players signed fixed-length contracts, and therefore, 
if you want to so yeah we know that Chelsea have signed uh, Mudrick on a deal until June 2031 so if any other club wants uh, to acquire his services they've got to give Chelsea a compensation fee um to 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 a uh, suitable to Chelsea to uh, allow him to transfer the, the, the contract. Um, in the case of a scout or a coach, um, the chances are they have a standard contract of employment. And therefore, uh, it could be that you have to give no more than three months or six months notice, or you know, it, it could be a few more months. I, I know, uh, for example, um, you, know, you, you mentioned data analysts. I think... Liverpool's head data analyst, uh, he's he's on some sort of gardening leave. So this is to prevent them from going to the clubs. So so the, the person sits out. I know with, with Brighton and Dan Ashworth, for example, uh, he wanted to go to Newcastle. Newcastle wanted him to go. Brighton said, well, you know, if you give us enough money, we'll, we'll – he's on a 12-month contract. Uh, uh, gardening, he's on a 12-month notice period. If, if you want us to uh, walk away from that 12-month notice period, just pay us an appropriate amount of money. And and that that is the case. Um, then then you will see um, appropriate fees. And, and Dan Ashworth was released from his, his clause. Um, so it does happen uh, in, in respect of uh, coaches and so on. But the numbers tend to be small because the perception in football is that it's the players and the first team coach who are the main drivers of success. Um, until that mentality changes, you know, if you if you end up with a a star data analyst that can spot the best players on the planet at the age of twelve, then then that person becomes of great value. And if you've got any sense, you tie them to a you know, a five year contract, and and then you will be able to negotiate. Um, should should they wish to move on, or should you be approached by another club? Our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Jan Menneken, uh, who says, "Are the various club TV stations in the Premier League profitable? MUTV, for example, or are they t- or are they typically a loss maker and more of a marketing exercise?" Um, if if we take a look at the accounts of MUTV, they they are rather strange. But MUTV normally makes probably seven to eight million pounds a year in income. But it's it's making a loss of uh, figures I've got in front of me here of 10 to 12 million. And then it sort of recharges some of its income. So it always it always effectively sort of breaks even. But um I, I think on an operational basis that they 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 struggle to to really reach a tipping point in which where they are profitable. Um and as a consequence Clubs, in my view, are continuing to operate them because they are looking for that Pandora's box. They're looking for either at some point in the future, um, the Premier League says, we're going to allow you to broadcast two games a year from two of your home fixtures a year directly to your, your chosen TV company, in which case, all of the numbers change very, very positively on behalf of the club. So um, certainly if, if we take a look at both uh, Super League and Project Big Picture, the aim of both of those was to reduce competition in the Premier League by allowing the big clubs to sell their own rights. And all of a sudden, if, if, you, if you're running MUTV, you've already got 
you know, so many thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of regular subscribers. And you can go, you can plug straight into those uh, and start to make money out of them. But at, at present, in my view, they're all tending to lose money, but they don't like to admit to it. So uh, there's a bit of uh, there's a bit of an unusual accounting taking place to to make on the face of things that they're they're breaking even. Mm. Uh, although they do a good job making videos to introduce new players, don't they? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Our last question, Kieran, comes from a chap called Matthew S. Uh, and I'm going to read it out, and I, I think I'm going to throw it open to our listeners to answer as much as anything you might have to say, Kieran, because uh, mm. what Matthew S. says is this. I, I'm thinking of starting a five-a-side pub league football team with a focus on mental health, a safe space for men and those who identify to play football and to speak about their mental health issues. I've seen clubs like this in bigger cities, but there isn't anything in my area. Trouble is I have no idea where to start, and if I do start raising money, to start a club, I don't want the tax man coming for me because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I think Matthew, first of all, I'm going to recommend if you can have. Well, presumably, Guy's got your email address. That if you could let me have it, Kieran, you would have noticed yesterday outside the pub, Paulson's uh, Arms in the garden, a huge flag with a picture of Malcolm Allison on it, who yep. is a huge Palace legend, despite the fact he relegated us twice in two seasons. Um, but that was put up by a chap who started a few years ago uh, a walking group for Palace fans with mental health issues who walked to an away game. Uh, it's becoming very popular uh, and other clubs have taken it up. And I know that the chap who started it would only be too happy to talk to Matthew about how he got things off the ground. And I'm sure that many of our listeners would probably be only too happy to help Matthew, especially if it turns out they're in his area as well, uh, as we know, Kieran, as we've been talking about this for a different project, startup costs, even for a, a team at that level, can be quite substantial because you do have to abide by all the FA regulations, even down at that level. Uh, so there will be money involved, but I, I think there are people other than, than us that could help Matthew in a more practical level here with an answer to this question. You're absolutely right. But I would say if, if it is five aside, Matthew, uh, I, I don't think you'll have any trouble here. Yeah, I'll certainly. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you you should. I, I would I would get in contact with your local leisure centre if you are going to try to raise money. The, the other thing that I would suggest doing um, is is to open a separate bank account and to put through all of the income generated from from this venture and all of the costs and just just keep some simple books. You uh, you don't have to get an accountant to do it. Um, you know, as long as you as long as you list everything out, uh, you know, and depending on how big it gets, then perhaps you might need some more assistance. But uh, there, th- there's no need to, to worry really about the tax authorities, provided it doesn't explode in terms of success, and um, th- then then the HMRC are more likely to take an issue. Uh, if, if it's a normal five-a-side team, even even a even a you know, a Sunday morning 11 aside team, uh, HMRC aren't interested because yeah. what you tend to be doing, you're collecting match fees, you're paying the referee, you're, you're paying for the pitch hire. Um, you, you might have training once or twice a week. Yes, you've got to go and pay for the kit. And and the numbers involved in terms of rev- the revenue aren't interested in, in your income. They're interested in your profits. And 
Sunday league teams simply just don't make money. So so revenue aren't, aren't interested. You, you will be significantly below the VAT threshold, uh, in, in in my view, because that's that that's tens and tens of thousands. So I, I think you can be relatively relaxed, but just just for your own peace of mind, uh, as, as much as anything else, just keep just keep the the five aside football team separate um, from from the rest of your uh, uh, of, of your personal uh, financial affairs. Yeah, and if any of our listeners do have their own experience of doing something like this, then uh, please do either tweet us or get in touch with producer guy. So he might be able to pass contact details on. Also, what I would suggest, Matthew, as well, because it sounds like uh, you refer to bigger cities. So it sounds like you're in a, a smaller town or maybe a rural area. So it might be worth approaching your uh, local football club if, if they're in League One or League Two or National League or lower just to see if they're interested in helping you start something like this, just maybe through their website. So I've, I think you will find that people are very uh, keen to get involved yeah. and help. Matthew so even if you start by putting a notice up in a in a pub toilet basically and just saying we're going to be watching a, a game next Sunday here live if you want to come along and have a chat just get people chatting and then and then those people will probably have some skills and talents or organizational ability that you can tap into anyway so if we can help in any way we will Matthew and we wish you the best of luck with that endeavour. In the meantime, uh, if anybody listening would like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, I believe I said contribution there, Kieran, I meant (laughs) contribution. Uh, Feel free to put that in the uh, Viz Profanosaurus. People were in awe of you yesterday in Paulson's arms when you told them that you had 49. Is it 49 entries? 43. 43 entries, yes. Uh, Of course. And I I accidentally brought it along a... The, the latest copy, just to, just to prove that my name's in 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 the esteemed publication. We we, we saw that, Kieran, and I, I didn't tell you yesterday, Kieran. It, it did cause me some slight embarrassment, I have to say, because you walked in. And I went, "There you go." He's got his private eye with him. He's always researching, <laughs> and it turned out it wasn't private eye; it was Viz rolled up. <laughs> uh, but yes, if you'd like to make a, uh, join those people who have made a small monthly contribution to the cod then you can go to patreon.com slash price of football and if you have a question you'd like answered on the show or you'd like to get in touch with us about matthew s and his uh, new football team then please do that via questions at price of football.com and in the meantime i shall hand you over to mr kieran mcguire for his customary farewell uh, well thank you to everybody at who's contributing via patreon we we, we really do uh, appreciate your support for the show it's uh, uh it, it is very kind um th- there are other ways of uh showing a bit of uh positive karma towards the show um and that's to give us a review if you go on to your app and you uh you give us a review uh we're told by producer guy it, it doesn't actually matter what your narrative is you can you can use prose or poetry or whatever you want you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Edward Scissorhands and Robert Sanchez. <laughs> and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to me in the way I feel at present. Uh, you've got, it's an away point, Kieran. A, every point away in the Premier League is hard for. <laughs> yes. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. The price of football.
that provides some football.